Good morning, Door Creek. It is good to be back with you. If you're a guest here, I'm a stranger to most people by now. I've been away on a, uh, a shorter sabbatical, and it's great to be back. My name's Mark, if you're a guest. Thank you. So we enjoyed great travels with uh, several dozen folk from the church to Israel and to Greece and catching up with the biblical sites. And if you ever get a chance, do it. It's just a fantastic opportunity. You'll never read your Bible the same. And then a great time just spending some time with our family and our kids on a bike trip that was awesome. And then to come back and just hear all that God's doing. So I don't know if you heard the report on soccer camp. If you don't get my notes, you wouldn't get that. But this week I reminded everybody that, you know, I think this is about our 10th or 11th year working with Chicago Eagles. And they come and they help us run soccer camps. And 11 kids out of this great group of kids gave their lives to Christ and placed their faith in Christ. So that's just so good. Another 13 said, yeah, I want to know more. So we're chasing that down as well. And I had a chance to go catch up with our two campuses, the, the one that's being built up into Forest. The foundations are going in just last week after services. The North Campus folk gathered around the foundation, started writing scripture verses and prayers as together we seek God and ask God to do great things for the people that are moving in. I couldn't believe since the last time I was there, I bet you there's another dozen homes that have been built just in the shadow of this place. And there are gonna be hundreds and hundreds of families moving in. And so we are poised and excited to reach more people for Christ. And then to walk through the new campus for our new multi-site that's launching. Our soft launch is in four weeks. Can you believe it? And then September 9th, the first weekend after Uh, Labor Day, we'll have our grand opening, but to walk through this new space that's being built out at Northgate Mall, just a couple of storefronts down from Boomerang's, our resale store, this cool space, and just imagine how God is going to fill it with kids and families and a new church, and so just excited to think about, you know, another Christ-centered church for all people, right, for the north side families and communities, the people who live there. And a church that's centered on Christ and a church that is just counting on the power of the gospel to mix things up and change lives and renew our city and change the world with his love. So great to be back and great to be part of this series on the parables or the tales of the kingdom. So we kicked it off four weeks ago. This is the fifth message. And as we think about this message, I want to ask you a question because it has everything to do with Jesus' teaching. When you think about God's work in your life, in your closest relationships, family, friends, marriage, whatever, when you think about God's work in this church, maybe a ministry that you're involved in, your life group, the students that you serve, or the big brother or big sister that you have, when you think about God's work in the world or our city, what kinds of words come to mind when you think about those various categories, are you encouraged about God's work in those areas or discouraged? Are, are you confused, wondering if anything's happening? Or no, you're confident that things are happening by the grace of God and you can see what God is doing. Jesus' teaching this week from Mark chapter 4 reminds us when it looks like nothing's happening or that what is happening is so small 
And so insignificant, it's so important to know that God is growing his kingdom through his word that we might bless other people, extending his grace so we could be part of his kingdom that actually has room for others and extends care and protection and a place to belong and to become. So it's what we're going to be talking about. And as I think about that, it makes me think about the beginnings of this church and the church that planted us. And you got to go back 112 years. Oh, to be a fly on the wall in 1906, right there in the heart of the city, Still there today, Bethany Church, the church that planted us, right? At this you know, kind of the doorway, gateway entrance to Willie Street, right? Across the street from the Yahara River. Oh, to be a fly on the wall and hear them talk about what they hope God would do. This small beginning. I don't know if you know this, but it started as a church with a clear focus to reach immigrants. Yeah, sure, you betcha. Norwegian immigrants. Some of you going, that's what I'm talking about, my people. <laughs> well, here's the deal. The rest of us, we would never gone to Bethany because it was all conducted in Norwegian. They didn't get English hymnals till 1927. What did they think was going to happen? When it just started out, this small beginning, we know they weren't thinking about planting churches because that didn't happen until almost 60 years later in 1965 when they're kind of outgrowing the space and there's this new growth of Madison on the east side. They said, let's move out there. And then they said, no, let's not move out there. Let's plant out there. And that's the beginning of Door Creek Church, then called Buckeye because we were over on Buckeye. That same year, Blackhawk Church was started. Did they have any mind, did they have any notion in their minds that those two churches would launch other campuses like the one downtown Blackhawk has, the one in Fitchburg, like the one in DeForest and soon to be on the north side of Madison? Did they have any idea about what looked seemingly so small and insignificant, focused on a very particular group of people? Grab your Bible. Let's catch up with this teaching about the mustard seed. Mark chapter 4 is where we read this story in Mark's gospel. So we're in the New Testament. We're in the, in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. So Matthew and Luke on either side. You can use the table of contents if you need to. Verse 30. Again, he, Jesus, said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. So here's where we're going. First, what is the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven like? A word about parables, because he's going to use parables to, to describe it. Then how does the kingdom grow? How does it grow in our lives? How does it grow in our church? How does it grow in the relationships we have? How is it growing in this world? We need to catch up with that. And then finally, so what do we do with this teaching? How do we take this home this week? So first, what is the kingdom of God like? 
This is where Jesus begins in verse 30. What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? And so the kingdom of God is this unifying theme for these parables. So you say, I'm going to use a parable. What's a parable? Well, actually, the word parable is made up of two words. We know that first one. We get the word parallel from it. It's alongside. And the bull part is from a Greek word that means to cast or to throw. It's something thrown alongside to teach, to illuminate. This story that comes alongside of the truth to help us understand the truth and remember it. So what are these parables? Well, they're, they're like folk stories. It's kind of like the genre. They're fictitious. That's using the stuff of everyday life. A farmer went out to sow some seed. Well, that was part of their agrarian culture. A man went out and was digging in the field and he found a treasure. Well, yeah, they, they worked in the fields. The, the, this is the stuff, a mustard seed. Oh, yeah, they knew about seeds and planting things in the mustard plant, this tree-like bush that could grow to be 10 feet tall. So he would use these stories and use them to help them understand something. This is going to be a parable that gives you an understanding of what the kingdom of God is like. It's not going to tell us everything about the kingdom, but it's going to tell us about something important that he wants us to know. It uses contrast. It uses comparisons, like in this two-part parable where it starts out with the difference between the seed planted and the seed full-grown with these big branches and birds finding a home and nesting and resting in the shade of it. It's going to use contrast. The kingdom parables then teach us about the kingdom, about God, about his king, and what it looks like to live in relationship with Christ. So a word about the, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is one of those things, if you've been reading your Bible for a while, it's as familiar as peanut butter. But when, when, when I ask you, so what exactly is the kingdom of God? You go, well, I don't know. It's kind of like you trying to, it's like you describing peanut butter to somebody who's never tasted it. It's like, it's so familiar. I eat it all the time. But man, how am I going to say this now to you? So the kingdom of God, when you, when you hear the word kingdom of God, the first thing to do is just think about a king, a monarch. And that's easy for the Brits, right, across the pond. They, they live with a monarchy, right? And so they understand. Queen Elizabeth, she's been there forever, it seems, right? So they, they get that. We, we think about presidents. We don't think about monarchs. We're, we're a democracy, the rule of the people, not the rule of one. So when you think about kingdom, think about a king. Think about King Jesus, who's not like any king that this world has ever seen. So think about past, think about present and future. The kingdom is now, the kingdom has come, and yet Jesus says, pray that the kingdom comes, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's now, but it's not yet fully established. It's present, we have tastes, we have glimpses, but not in its fullness yet, right? Here's another thing to remember, that it describes the reign and the, uh, the realm. The reign is the period of time. Well, it's a forever kingdom, 2 Samuel 7, 14. The promise is, yeah, remember back in, in, in Moses' writing, he says, I think it's in Numbers somewhere, 24 maybe, he says Judah. No, this is actually, this is in Genesis 49 when, when Jacob is blessing his sons and he says, Judah, the scepter is never going to depart from you. 
And then it says his promised king is going to come not just from the tribe of Judah, but he's going to come from the house of Jesse. And he says to David, he says, David, there's going to be one of your sons who establishes a forever kingdom, and he's going to reign forever. It's a forever kingdom. It's now and forever. And where is the rule? Where, where is the realm? What are the dimensions? What's the geography? So when we were just in Israel... We, we were walking in the very places where Jesus and his followers walked at a time when it, this was the promised land, but it was, it was occupied by Rome. The Roman Empire was vast. This summer, I went from walking around Jerusalem, where if we had been there in the first century, we'd have seen centurions that were Roman. We would have paid taxes to Caesar, who was the God king. And then I went to my dad's little village a few weeks later, and I showed the kids again the Voie Romaine, the Roman road that went right through this little tiny town. And you could see where the chariots had just dug out the channels in the rock of the Roman road, this vast empire. What did Jesus say? My kingdom is not of this world. It's not about a geography. It's about people's hearts. That's where I rule. My kingdom is an internal kingdom, and it one day will find its expression physically when this whole world is made new, and it is filled with people who love the king and want to do life with the king here and forever and stake their lives on the one who gave up his life for us. When you think about the kingdom, we're thinking about these things. We're thinking that it's personal, this relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, who is the king over all things, transforms our life. And as it does, our lives are part of God's transforming work in society. So it's personal and it is social as well. So go back to this parable and let's look at the two parts, the seed and then what it fully grows to become. So, the mustard seed. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. When the hearers in the first century heard that, they knew right away what was going on. They didn't go, what's he talking about, mustard seed? I mean, a mustard seed is just like some of the things that, that we would use. So I remember hanging around my, my good friend John's dad. He was this Norwegian carpenter, speaking of Norwegians. This guy was just a master craftsman. And the phrase he would use, if you had to cut the board just a little bit more, he'd say, just take a skosh off of it. You know how to spell skosh? I don't either. But that just meant just, just like a sliver. Or I remember when I was a kid, we used this phrase. Uh, do, do you want some more? I, I, we'd say, just a tad. Do you, do you know that one? Or a smidge, right? Or, or, or here's, a, here's a thin one, right? The skin of our teeth. Right, or, or, or a drop in the bucket, right? Drop in the bucket. Well, I, I got a bucket. I'll show you the drop, but let me, let me first show you the seed because I was just wondering, so how small is, how small is the seed? So wouldn't you know, McCormick, they, they, they came up and they, they showed me seeds. I don't know if these are exactly the same kind of seeds that grow in the Middle East, but here's what I realized is when I went to pick up one of these seeds, I realize there's no way you're going to be able to see it because I can't get it out of my fingertips. So there's a picture of it in my hand, and you'll notice it's as big as like the freckle in my hand. 
And so this is really small. Here, look, it's just really small, you guys. <laughs> Did you get it? I don't know if you'll even be able to find those, but that was like 50 of them right there. <laughs> don't eat those, because I threw them out last service and I got them all up again. <laughs> just kidding. So, um, you know, I, I say like, it, it would be us saying a drop of the bucket. So I, I got a drop in the bucket and, and Heather back at the booth saw me put it in. So are, are you guys ready for a drop in the bucket? A drop in the bucket, Grace, are you ready for this? Here, here's a drop in the bucket. What's a drop in the bucket? There's nothing. There's nothing. So it was synonymous when he said a mustard seed. Oh, that's what he's talking about. Just itty-bitty. So small. Hardly see it. So insignificant. He's talking about his kingdom, his work in this world. These are his new followers, they are believing that he is the promised king. And they may have had notions. Oh, we know what he's going to be doing, and we're pinning our hopes on him that he is going to clear the Romans out of these streets and out of this promised land so that we'd be free. And he says, you know, I know you're looking around and you're seeing the beginnings of my ministry, and you might be confused by what you see because it just looks so small, so seemingly insignificant. But don't let that fool you. It's just the seed. It's just the seed. And it's not just the seed and the size of the seed, but the fact that this seed is a planted seed. Did you see that in the text? Verse 31. It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth, yet when planted. Not still in the package. No. This is the planted seed. He's going back right now, and Mark's putting these together to the, to the sower parable where he says, a farmer went out to sow some seed, and someone fell right there in the middle aisle where everybody's walking, and it's so hard there that, you know, it never got into the soil, and so the birds just came down and just ate it all up. Nothing happened. It didn't germinate. It didn't grow. Then the farmer, he, he threw some of the seed and it fell among the rocky ground and it was pretty shallow there. And when the intensity of life and the trials of life and the heat of the sun came, it just withered away because it didn't have any roots. Then there was some other seed and it, it, it fell into some good soil, but man, there were some thorns and thistles growing and they just came up around it and wrapped up against it and just choked the life out of it. And then though, there was some seed that fell in the good soil. The people that hear the word, verse 20, the people who accept the word, and it is growing 30, 60, 100 times. He's not just saying it's a little thing. It's when this little thing is planted in the heart of a person, something happens. Something happens. That's what he's talking about here with this seed. So then he talks about what it becomes, the largest of all the garden plants. I mentioned scholars say five to ten feet, a perennial. The Jewish teaching would say, don't plant this in your garden because it'll just, you know, it'll smother all the other vegetables you're trying to grow. Put it out in the field because it's going to be big. And it's this, this big bush-like tree that we are told has big branches and there's something in the branches there's a purpose for this kingdom 
so that the birds can not just perch, but literally the word is to nest, find a home, and be protected, right, from the shade, through the shade, from the sun. And when Jesus starts to paint this picture of what starts looking in our mind's eye like a tree, we realize, oh, Jesus is picking up on this metaphor of kingdom in the Old Testament uses trees. Prophet Ezekiel did that. You see it in the history books in the period of the kings. And the prophet Daniel does that. King Nebuchadnezzar has his dream about this big tree. And he tells Daniel all about it in chapter 4, verse I think it's 12 or so, and he's describing this tree that's big and it reaches to the heavens and extends across the earth and its branches give shade and food for all the animals and the birds are in the tree. And Daniel says, well, that dream's about you, king, and about your kingdom. So Jesus is teaching about the kingdom. And what's he teaching? What looks small and insignificant, maybe microscopic at the beginning, is not what it looks like. Don't let the size of the beginning fool you into thinking that nothing is happening. The God who spoke everything into existence from nothing is the same one who takes a tiny little mustard seed and makes it into a big thing. That rock in one of the other visions of Daniel, speaking of Christ, that grows to be a mountain that fills the whole world, the ever-expanding kingdom of God. And when it seems small and insignificant, Jesus says, guys, don't, don't be led astray. It's happening. It's happening. It's dynamic, not static. And it's not just happening for us. It's happening for others, that the birds would find rest. It reminds us of his promise to Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I know you used to be in and worshiping all these idols, and now you're following me, the one true God. And I'm going to bless you so that you are positioned not just to have a happy life and all your family to have a happy life, but so that you would bring my blessing to all the families of the world. This is what he's talking about, the kingdom of God, poised not just to bless us, but to bless the world. What's this kingdom like? A little mustard seed, a drop in the bucket. But when it's planted in the hearts and lives of people, oh, it grows. It grows into a big tree-like bush that gives a home and a place of belonging, a place of protection to all the birds. So how does it grow? How's it growing in your life? How does that happen? How does the kingdom of God, how does it grow in our church? How is it growing in our city? How is it going to grow in this world? Is it? How does it happen? And all you need to do is see how Luke has arranged this portion of his, Mark has arranged this portion of his gospel to, to understand it. The parable right before that, a man goes sow some seed and he goes to bed, he gets up and he goes, he doesn't know how it happened. It's kind of like what's been going on this last week where we, we get up and we drive by a cornfield, we go, what? Like a week ago it was here and now it's here. It's just, what's happening? Well, we go, oh yeah, we know. 
We need a little bit of water. We need some good soil. We've got to have some sunshine so that photosynthesis thing kicks in. I'm not sure exactly what that is, but someone knows. I can Google it. And, but it's kind of like a mystery. Like, wow. And, and yet, Mark say it's actually not a mystery. Jesus say the growth of the kingdom is not mysterious. And here's how Mark unpacks it from his gospel. In chapter 1, verse 15, what's happened is John the forerunner, his cousin, getting people ready for Jesus in his ministry and his, his advance of the kingdom. Jesus comes in, he starts to preach the good news of the kingdom and he tells people to repent, to make a turnaround and follow him. And so the kingdom of God, Mark tells us, Jesus tells us, grows through the proclamation of the word of God, the good news. And right about now you're going, and that's not my job, but I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad there's a teaching team. Um, and thank the teaching team. Didn't they do a great job the last few months here? They did a great job. You go, you know, check. That's not me, but you go get them, guys. No, actually, the ministry of the word in a local church is far more than what is happening right now. This is, this is a formal and important part of the ministry of the word. But the ministry of the word is happening in our lives. This week, I'll give you a great example. So I had to get a stump ground down. We took out a bush, and uh, Ron, the stump guy, came over. He was a friend of my tree guy, Dale. He said, Ron, I'll take it out. He's uh, really affordable. I said, great. I meet Ron. He says, yeah, Dale gives me all kinds of work. I love that guy, Dale. I said, yeah, he's special. He said, then there's this other guy. His name is Brad. He's actually a painter, but he also takes down trees. I'm going, that is an odd combination. Outside of maybe they both use a cherry picker. I don't know. But I go, that's really interesting because I've got a friend who has a painter named Brad who takes down trees. And so I say, he doesn't do work for so-and-so. He goes, yeah, and I've taken out all their stumps. I said, well, they're good friends who go here. He goes, man, if I had known they're your friends, I wouldn't have charged you. I said, it's not too late. <laughs> and then here's what happened. He started to talk about these people. And when I, when I asked them later, I just figured like they've spent all kinds of time with them, had them over for a meal, which wouldn't have surprised me, you know, and just had these long, he says, no, actually, we, we haven't spent that much time. But what he started to say about this couple was far more than, well, these are just really nice people. He, he was starting to describe Christ-like character that he was running into so much so that, that he could articulate it and talk about it, the grace and how they treated him, a stump grinder. It was just phenomenal. The kingdom of God grows through the proclamation of the word of God as it's taught, as it's lived out. We all become heralds of the word, the good news. We all have the opportunity to do that. Then he tells us in the story of the sower in chapter 4, the kingdom of God grows when the word is received. So the, the seed's going out, the seed's going out, but there's only one place where it's growing, in the good soil, which represents the person who hears, verse 20, and accepts, receives the word of God. It's our second value, the Bible's authority, centering our lives on God's truth. 
You want the word? You want the kingdom? You want your life to, 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 to be more like Jesus? And we gotta be in the word. And more importantly, the word's gotta be in us. So if it's like, well, man, I, I, I gotta do that. No, I do that. Like, I do that. I check it off every day. Well, that's like awesome because a lot of us don't do that. So that's awesome. But that doesn't equate with anything more than you're hearing it right now. James says, don't be a hearer of the word. James 1.22, Jesus' brother. He says, you got to be a doer of the word. It's not that I'm in the word. It's the word is in me. That's what I was describing about our friends. The words in their life transforming how they treat people. The grace of God is manifest. How does the kingdom grow? It's proclaimed. How does the kingdom go? It's constantly received. And when it's received, it's, it's guiding us. That's where he goes next, right after the parable of the sower. He says, so then, you, you, nobody lights a lamp. So you, you got to think, you know, we're not turning on lights back then. We're lighting an oil lamp. No one puts, you know, they don't light their oil lamp and then put it under a bushel. You don't put a lamp under the mattress. You put it up in the ceiling so it lights up the room. And the word of God is like a lamp. Remember that in Psalm 119, verse 105? Read it together with me. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. When we're receiving the word, we're saying, I want to follow it. And it shows us the way, centering our lives on God's truth. It shows us the way. And God's word is powerful. It, give, it gave life to everything that is living in this universe. It gives new life, Peter says, 1 Peter 2.23. It is a sharp double-edged sword that gets the nooks and crannies of a, of a woman and a man's soul. So it even helps us understand our attitudes and the intentions of our heart. It is useful, this God-breathed word, 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, to what? To teach us? To rebuke us, what is rebuke? It means it just hits us upside of the head and go, what are you doing, Mark? You're like way off right here. And then it corrects me and you, and it gets us back on the line of God's word, and it trains us for righteousness so that we're prepared to do every good work as we seek to love God with all of our heart and love our neighbors ourselves. This is a powerful word. Now, having said that, he says, the kingdom of God is like the seed that's growing. How does it grow? The context all around this that was organized for us to understand it. So you, we, we read the gospel sometimes too chronologically. We're going, well, this is biography. And you no, know, it's, it's actually more of a portrait. And so what, what was written for is before five. And all this is, no, no, he's arranging it. And the arrangement all around this is saying the kingdom grows through the word, our response to the word of God. And now he gives illustration of how the word has power to transform lives and how the word of God is bringing into existence the kingdom of God. And there's three stories. The first one is Jesus calms the sea with two words, three words in our text, two words in the, in the original. Peace, one word, be still. The next story is in chapter 5, the demoniac, this man who's running around the tombs without any clothes on. The people have tried to subdue him. He's been wrapped in chains. He breaks out. He's tormented by these hundreds of thousands of demons, and Jesus frees him from that and brings him back, not just into his right mind, but back into community in a relationship with God. He wants to hang out with Jesus. And how did it happen? Through the word. Come out. Next story, Jairus' daughter. 
end of chapter 5, the, the synagogue ruler in Capernaum, where we were just a few weeks ago. Aren't you kidding me? We're walking on the foundation of the synagogue in Capernaum where Jesus taught. And Jairus was the synagogue leader there. His daughter was so sick. He calls for Jesus to come and help heal her. And on his way, other people come and say, she's gone, she's dead. Jesus says, Jairus, hang with me. We're going. She's, she's not dead. Two words, Talitha kum, Aramaic for little girl. Get up. Power of the word. That's how the kingdom grows. So what do we do with this? It's a couple questions and a good reminder. First question. Am I part of God's kingdom? And the Bible's answer is only if we recognize Christ as king and live accordingly. Am, am I part of the kingdom? Am I resisting it? Am I, am I wrestling with it? Or am I resting and finding a place and a home and protection and care under this loving king. Some of you are just new to all this. And words like kingdom, it just makes you think about power. And you know, it's just so messed up here in this world. And you're right. But what Jesus shows us about power, what Jesus' kingship is like, is like nothing we've ever seen in all of human history. So keep at it. Keep looking at Christ the king. We're not part of the kingdom if Jesus isn't king of our lives. There's a second question. Am I, am I growing in the word? Am I in the word? Am I, am I growing in the word? And, and, you know, it's great that you're here, but, but let me use this parable, this analogy. So what if this week you, you said, man, it's going to be a busy one. I mean, I got some trips. I'm going to be out of town. I got meetings. Oh, my word. It's just going to be crazy. But I think I can get one meal in. I, I think I can do that. It's going to be fast food for sure because I don't have a lot of time. But I'm just going to get one meal in. Is that going to work? That's not going to work. So we need to be in the Word. And the Word begins to transform how we think. This Word is powerful. It's living. It's active. Am I in the word? And, and the thing to do is not look at, yeah, am I, am I reading my Bible? Like, that's obviously in the word, but is the word in me? So look at how, like, how are we treating people? What are we thinking about people? What, you know, is the word, am I growing to be more like Christ? How I live my life. And here's the reminder. Be encouraged. So this is so great. At the end of the last service, one of the moms came up to me. She says, you know, as a mother of autistic kids, we measure progress in millimeters. I thought, oh, that's beautiful. We measure it in millimeters. Because if we don't, we'll always be discouraged because we'll never see that there's been anything that's happening. And, you know, it, that bush didn't go like it was planted seed, and then voila, six hours later, Boom, 10 feet, big branches. If, you, if you're looking for that, you're going to be disappointed. And some of us, we just, we just got to just be encouraged. 
that it is mustard seed. It is small. It seems insignificant. I don't know what's happening, man. I've been leaning into the marriage. I've been leaning into the kids. I've been leaning into these friends. I mean, I've been trying to shine for Christ at work, trying to shine for Christ at school, and nothing seems to be happening. These kids that I've been leaning into, this little sister, little brother that I've been loving on, nothing seems to be happening. Don't believe that. Don't believe that. Be encouraged that God is at work in this world. And he is the one that we've been confident of who begins stuff and will complete it. Philippians 1.6, my life verse. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Be encouraged. Look for it. Look for the millimeter. Don't look for the mile. And I got one last question. Does your notion of the kingdom of this church have room for all the birds? Or you think it's just a sparrow church? Or maybe you're like the end of the Cardinals. Ooh, that's risky being a Brewer fan if you are. Sorry I brought that up. I'm a Cup fan, so I get it. I mean, should we be a church that says, no, we don't do Cardinals? You know, it's just really easy to go, well, you know, I, I like birds that look like me and sing like me. Chirp like me? You know? Are, are, we, are, are we like those birds? I don't know who they are, but have you noticed this? Whenever there's a hawk flying, there's a couple of bombers coming after it, little fighter jets. They're going after it, right? Are, are we that kind of a bird that's chasing people away? Is there room for all the birds at Door Creek Church? Well, man, if it started with a bunch of cuckoo birds like you and me, we should be. God help us. God help us to be a Christ-centered church for all people. Where the power of the gospel is continually transforming lives, renewing our city, changing the world as we live loving lives for his glory to bless those he's called us to serve. Let's pray. Father God, we bless you that you would include us, people who are guilty of treason, to be freed from that charge because your son took that charge so that we could, we could be royalty in your family, royal servants who, like our king, give our lives away. Open our eyes to your work. Don't let us believe the lies of the enemy that would say there's nothing happening here. Help us to believe what your word says. Grow us the desires in our heart, the will of our lives to want to be trees with big branches that welcome, provide a place and protection and peace nourishment for all the people you bring in our lives. May this church make you smile, bring you praise. May it turn the heads because your love is exhibited here. Lord, encourage those who go out to start that new campus, that mustard seed group. May it grow to be a beautiful tree bush. Encourage us as we seek to be lights for you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray.
Amen.